episode 3382 of the Survival Podcast. Good morning, uh, good Monday morning to all of y'all. Today we're going to talk about saving future generations from self-inflicted slavery. This is actually an episode, a lot of the outline that I'm using for it, I used in an episode that I did all the way back in 2016. Uh, So what is that, four or seven years, right? Seven years ago. And everything that we talked about then is only more true today. We live in a society that is literally conditioning people to enslave themselves. I'm going to show you some stuff today um, that it could be, you know, if, if not done right, could be taken out of context in that I'm going to show you the way that uh, some people reacted to uh, being uh, being told about new drunk driving legislation uh, in the 1980s. It's a short little clip. Many of you have probably seen it. And I'm not advocating for driving around in your car all tanked up drunk. Uh, I am saying, though, that it will show you the way that attitudes have changed, what people are uh, willing to tolerate and what they're not willing to tolerate as the dog is making my life miserable. I'm going to shut my door. I'll be right back, guys. All right. Sorry about that, guys. I am going to be all week without the wife here while I'm podcasting, so I have to deal with everything on my own. He can bark all he wants now. It should not be too loud. Anyway, before we dig into this, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Start9 Embassy Servers. How would you like to take back your digital sovereignty? Well, you can do just that with Start9. You can run your own end-to-end encrypted messaging. You can access your files and photographs from anywhere. And I mean anywhere in the world, completely secure and encrypted end-to-end. You can stop using the cloud because there is no cloud. There's no such thing as a cloud. There's somebody else's computer, which means they control your data, your access to it, and they can kind of snoop at it, too, from time to time, which we have found out that they tend to do. You can also, with a Start9 server, run your own Bitcoin node. You can run your own Lightning node as well if you want to. There's a lot of other cool things you can do with a Start9 server. Remember, if you uh, are an MSB member, you get 9% off all purchases at start9.com. Next up today, the above phone. You know, these two really fit well together. That's why I kind of run them as sponsors as a a tandem, because they're both about the same thing. Taking back your sovereignty as an individual fits today's show very well today as well. Um, But right now, if you're using an iPhone or an Android and you're using any of the big carriers, what you, you, you know this, all the people that make the phones, the apps and the and the carriers themselves are spying on you. Uh, they're tracking where you go. They report that stuff to the government. It's just something you don't need. With a above phone, you can take your technology back and you can take that digital sovereignty back at another level. They're also a great supporter of the MSB. Uh, they give you $75 off any of the uh, phones available at abovephone.com if you are a member of the member support brigade with that let's get on into this hopefully i didn't get too derailed sideways by the dog going nuts i think an amazon person came and of course they must die a horrible death because they dared go near his front gate without his permission anyway digging into it guys let's start off with 
why I'm doing this episode today. It may seem unrelated, but it has a lot to do with the way that people act when they hear that people are moving from one state to another state, especially when it's a state like California and they're coming to Texas or they're going from Oregon to Florida or something like that. They're come here and mess everything up. And I, I think there can be some truth to this, obviously, but I think more what that shows is people don't understand where the actual problem as far as society being led into complete stupidity and self-assigned slavery is coming from. It's not coming from California or Oregon. It's coming from the establishment media, the establishment education system, and our own government. And hence, it's really coming from cities. There are plenty of liberal nuts in Austin or Dallas here in Texas. Texas just happens to be a state with enough of a spread out rural population to counterbalance the insanity of the cities. That, that's all that we have going for us, honestly. That's, that's what keeps us from, from losing uh, a lot of what we have here. And most other states are that way, too. And so by not understanding how we're being led in this direction, how we're being drugged further and further into a state of complete and total obedience to the state and its systems, we are not doing what we really should be doing when it comes to preventing it from happening to the next generations. The people that are our age, if you're my age, if you're in your 50s, your 40s, your 60s, somewhere in there, your contemporaries have made a choice. The odds that they will change the way they think now about government, the state, politics, etc., are very, very low. And this is why it has always been the goal of people who, who seek tyranny to go after children. And when I say children, I mean just young people in general, from little bitty kids to like tween and teenagers to like 20-somethings. All through that period, and even into your 30s, you're malleable, uh, you're, you're suggestive. You can have your politics change many times in that period, and it will generally be somewhere as a person matures, actually sees their own needs and what have you, as, as well as they're ever going to, that they will kind of come to a point where they're like, okay, this is what I believe. And they may become more steadfast in those beliefs, but they're very unlikely to change. But when you get somebody at 14, they don't know what they don't know yet. And they're very susceptible to the tools of the totalitarian, which by and large is class warfare. It's class warfare. So when we tell a kid it's not fair that this other group of people did this to you, I mean, what kid doesn't, you know, shoot out the words it's not fair two or three times a day through their entire childhood? They're very susceptible to that. And so we don't realize where the real threat is coming from. So we think that just by living our lives in a very free way that our kids will somehow be inoculated. Unless we take an active role, they will not. They will not. If you're raising your kids in anything approaching a city or a large town even, and they're going to the public education system, and they're surrounded by social media and TV sets and things like that, if you are not actively teaching them what's being done to them, they won't even know what's being done to them. You don't even realize how much of it was done to you. Let me tell you something. If you, again, you're, you're like a Gen Xer, an older millennial, what have you, or a boomer, 
you may not even realize how programmed you were by things like, you know, Rocky three and fighting the Russians and shit like that. And then, you know, when your TV comes on and tells you Putin's completely evil and we have only one choice in this and then it's to back Ukraine 100 percent. Part of that is why so many of you believe that, even though you don't know anything at all about the situation. You don't know anything about the history of Ukraine. You don't know anything about the history of the civil war that went on for eight years in Ukraine. And it's not about this one thing. So don't get stuck on this if this is one of your issues. It's just that you take that belief and you just regurgitate it without ever going, no, wait a minute. How do we, how did we get here? You can even ask that question. Now, if that was done to you, imagine how much more effective it is today with social media, the internet, the technology that's in our schools and the advancement of this. So here's an example, too. Like a lot of the stuff we think of as new is not new. I'm reading a book right now. I'm actually listening to the audio of it about the possibility that oil is abiotic, meaning the earth makes oil for itself. And the guy did a really great job. And I'll tell you more about it in the future because I'm going to finish the book before I start talking about it. Um, but there is one part in it that he's talking about. He found a textbook from one of the um one of the, the, the scientists, the uh, Ph.D., basically, uh, in economics, that this, his textbook was still being used in colleges in the 80s. And so he finds this textbook and he finds a note in it from a student who had to take the class. They wrote a note in the uh, book. Now, so this is probably like 87, 88 from what he said. And it starts out with, of course, this guy is a white man who is rich, and it goes, it sounds exactly like the absolute nonsense and twaddle that you hear today. Rich white people can't have an opinion about anything, and he's mocked because he uses charts and data and analysis and hard numbers, right, instead of touchy fields. And it, he never worries about the justice that, that impacts people at a societal level. Like, it just reads a little bit tweaked to the words, but it sounds exactly like the shit you hear today come out of anybody's mouth that goes off to one of these vaulted institutions of higher learning. And, and this is where this all is coming from. These people are being programmed very, very young. And now what you need to realize is that that girl who wrote that or guy, I really don't know if it was a girl or a guy, just the, the tone of it sounded very female to me. Um, doesn't prove anything, I guess. But the person who wrote that in that book in the 1980s, is older than me. They're probably a teacher somewhere in this system or something like that now. So this is multi-generations that's being handed over. And it all comes back to something. We don't, we use a word all the time and we don't even define it. Most people don't have a definition of it, a working definition of it. And that word is freedom. Freedom. My freedom. My freedom. My freedom. And the problem is that people speak of freedom as though it is a singular thing. It isn't something that you can give an objective definition to for everyone. And I, I really don't agree. I think liberty is something that we can give a fairly objective, gener, uh, generalized definition of for everybody. And then freedom is actually what we do with our liberty. And here's what I mean by that. To me, liberty is fairly easy to define. The ability to pursue whatever it is you want to pursue as long as you don't hurt anybody else. That's ultimate liberty to me. I can do whatever I want. Now, if I do something dumb, I deal with the consequences. 
Somebody doesn't fix it for me. But that's liberty. What I pursue with my liberty, that will be my definition of freedom. And your definition of freedom and my definition of freedom may be very different. And this may seem like a little technicality or something like, well, actually, you need to under. No, this is incredibly important. If we don't begin instructing younger people from that viewpoint, then they will be easily controlled by the system that was already in place, because that system is designed around the concept of collectivism. That everybody should get the same results. Everybody should get the same opportunity and the same results, right? Built on equity. Equity is a, is a concept that does not actually happen in nature. It's not a normal thing for things to be equitable. Equality and equity are different things. Equity is this desire to have equal results. Well, that's not going to happen. Two people do the same job. They do it differently. One's better at it than the other. Maybe one's not even better at the job. One's better at making the case that they're good at their job. One's better at whatever piece of it allows them to accelerate or to, to, to promote more quickly than others around them. But if we start off from the standpoint of freedom can only be defined by the individual, what freedom looks like for them, then we destroy collectivism before we even start. Because now we can't. Have people go, well, freedom for everybody is the same. Like, you can't do any of the bullshit that they do if the response from the person you're trying to do it to is, but wouldn't I use my freedom differently than you? Wouldn't, what, how, do you see how that immediately breaks it? And we have to understand that there's a history of freedom and its relationship to government that's as old as government itself. And it's quite adversarial. And that is the state hates freedom. I don't care what they put in their constitution or their founding documents. I don't care what they put on their flag. I don't care what music they make to go along with. The state hates freedom. The state has always seen freedom as an impediment to the state's will. The more freedom my society has the less control I have. And what is the purpose of government if not control? States hate freedom. That's why states create licensing. They want a permission-based society. The way this system works is the people that most seek power end up in power. And I don't care if it's a communist government, a socialist government, a democratic government, a constitutional republic. In all societies, the people that do the most to, to get power end up with power. That doesn't mean that everybody who tries will. What it means is there is a specific group that will fight each other to the death, if need be, for control of whatever power apparatus they are. That means those people are predisposed to want power. And people that are predisposed to want power in general are sociopaths. And, they, and they're, they, they're also, in general, intelligent. And over time, they convince themselves by looking at the masses, and you can see where they would. People are stupid. I bet you say that on a regular basis. I believe that people, in general, can be stupid. I, I, I really do. But I also believe in the words of, of Tommy Lee Jones' character in uh, Men in Black, people are stupid. A person is smart. If we leave people 
to pursue their freedoms will get the best of everything. It doesn't mean everything will be perfect, but we'll get the best case we can get, especially if those people are also not free from the consequences of their poor decision-making. When they do screw up, they have to deal with it. We don't fix it for them. But that's where all this has to start off with, is an understanding that governments do not want freedom. They, I don't care what they say, and that freedom is different from liberty. Liberty is the means by which a person can pursue freedom, and the more liberty you have, the greater you can pursue the freedom that you're seeking. When you start from there, everything becomes very defensible. It becomes kind of like a, uh, like a citadel for the mind. Since I'm not going to let you tell me that you get to define what freedom is for me, and I know that I can't do it for you, there's so many of this other manipulations that are done by government, society, the education system, industry, etc. They become immediately inert. It's the best vaccine uh, against that kind of mind control. And so then we need to start understanding, well, how have our children been programmed to accept control, to accept control? And this is where I want to play this real quick clip for you guys here. And this is how people in the 1980s reacted when asked by the uh, news, news agency, what do you think of these new uh, DUI laws that are going on? To restrict drinking and driving here is viewed by some as downright undemocratic. It's kind of getting common this when a fellow can't put in a hard day's work, put in 11, 12 hours a day, and then get in your truck and at least drink one or two beers. They're making it laws where you can't drink when you want to. You, can't, you have to wear a seatbelt when you're driving. And pretty soon we're going to be calm in this country. All right, so... Again, I don't want you thinking that I'm saying we should just all be driving around bombed off our asses drunk, because that is not what I'm saying at all here, guys. It's not. I'm pointing something out that in just not that long ago, 1980s or not that long ago, I remember them well, right? Um, when people were told, you can't have a beer in your truck, they're like, what the hell? Now, we probably shouldn't be driving around drinking beers. Okay? I, I, I get that. I also get what that dude was saying. He, he was basically saying, if, if I'm on my way home and I drink a beer or two, I'm probably not a threat to anybody at all. That it, Most people can drink a beer or two, and they are not a danger to anybody else. Those people were not objecting to the concept of some drunk bastard shouldn't be driving around. They were objecting to being told... If you drink one beer, you can't be on the road. They were also objecting to something else. Somebody else here mentioned it, open container. You see, at the time, even with, like, the driver shouldn't be drinking, if I'm driving and you're sitting next to me and you're drinking a beer and I'm not, there's no problem. Which, if you think about it, there's no reason that it should be. But if you were to tell people today, I want to – Repeal the open container law, not the not the blood alcohol limit. Want to repeal open container? Oh my God, the world will end, right? Or if you told people we should repeal seatbelt laws, they would lose their mind. They would lose their mind. It's become so accepted that to even hint that we ever existed without it is like it, it drives people insane. And this is how all of this has been eroded across time. So, again, I'm not advocating for anything here. 
I'm just pointing out how quickly an entire society's mindset toward a thing can be shifted into a total state of control and acceptance and acquiescence. Because what they've done to our kids is this. One, they have taught our children to not value privacy. Like when I was a kid, privacy was a pretty big deal. As a kid, like you didn't want everybody to know what you were doing. You and your buddies had secrets between each other and stuff like that. Um, but it was certainly the case that if somebody was nosing into your business, you were like, hey, no, this is not okay. Where today, they have so ingrained the idea of a surveillance state as being normal that if you say the word privacy, people start acting like you're the one that's a conspiracy theorist or you're the crazy one or you you must have something to hide because you want privacy. Why is privacy so important to you? And you can see when you have a society of, of, of kids that are living on screens and posting their entire lives where that would get eroded heavily. And so we also have had years and years of this being done slowly. It's been done through TV shows to a large degree. Have you ever noticed that in every TV show that's like a good versus evil crime or spy thing, the laws are always in the way? And you always find yourself saying in the middle of it, to hell with that, just go get them or something like that. Do you think that's not by design? Do you think that's not intentional to make you feel like only criminals care about this stuff? And this has been slowly eroded where people don't value privacy for shit anymore. Like there's a meme and it's pretty accurate. There's a lady and she's on an old school phone, you know, with a cord to the wall. And she's thinking to herself, I better not say that to my friend. They might have me on a wiretap. And then the next scene is very new. And it's a girl uh, talking to an Alexa device. And she says, hey, wiretap, get me in a, uh, an, uh, a recipe for Whatever. And it's kind of how they've moved us along that way. The other thing is they have debt. And this is so much more true than when I put this outline together seven years ago. They have taught us to respect authority based on titles versus actions and earned respect. So-and-so is a doctor. Oh, they're a genius. And have you ever noticed, though, that when the person's a doctor and that means they're right about a thing, they're only right as long as they say the thing that society expects to be said. Like, I don't get to have an opinion because I'm not a doctor. But a doctor doesn't get to have an opinion if his opinion is counter to what the mainstream is selling at the time. You ever notice that? Scientists, right? He's a PhD. He's a genius. Until he says, yeah, but I don't agree with this. Oh, then he's a loon. Now, you can't, you can't have that and, and then have anything approaching a society with common fucking sense. OK, you can't be like a Ph.D. is a valuable credential and people that have Ph.D.s are very intelligent, highly educated, and they are good at ferreting things out and figuring things out. And when anybody questions orthodoxy, you basically take everything you just said about their credential and shit on it. And this is a very dangerous thing, because now what we can tell our, our, our society, what we say is, well, the scientists said. Who the hell are the scientists, the scientists, or the experts? The experts have said, who are they? You ever notice how many times the experts are referenced, but nobody, nobody's name is given? Experts agree, experts say, etc. The classic Fenord comma experts say. But they don't have 
anything to say about who these people are. And anybody that's counter is crazy. You're a quack doctor. Well, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. This guy went to the same medical school. Or if the guy's a Ph.D., he went through the same process to become a Ph.D. Some, some of these cases, these people that have been attacked, like Harvey Rice, uh, Rice from, um, was it Harvard or, or, or Yale or Princeton, somewhere up there? Yale. He's from Yale. One of the most, he's right now he's the most cited person by other scientists in papers that's still alive. That's still alive. But the second he came out with something contrary, he's a quack. He's crazy. And so we value the title right up until the person dares use the title, dares use the credential to make any case other than the orthodoxy. And what we end up with is, I don't know about you, but I learned in school that science was a process. That's what I learned in school. Science was a process. And I think my generation, we're kind of the last people to really be taught science. Like they'll learn the scientific method, but to really be taught the concept of science is a process. It is an error detecting process. So we have a means by which we test a hypothesis and we were to be incredibly critical in our results in accepting any feedback that says we're in error. Well, now it's you're too stupid to understand that. You should just do what experts say. And, and this is the case across the board. It's anybody that's a boss, anybody that's in charge, anybody that's an authority figure is just to be obeyed. Now, you can't have a liberty-focused society and an obedient society. That's exactly why they've done this. Um, also, our youth have been systematically, and I do believe it is systematic. In other words, it is set up to happen this way on purpose, and the entire apparatus is from K to 12 to university, et cetera. All of it is designed to funnel people into this whole unserviceable debt unserviceable debt. Why else would you be telling kids who are only a couple of years away from shitting their pants how important it is for them, them to go to college? Why would you be marketing college to second and third graders with the current situation with student loan debt where it is? A, a literal crisis that we've made for ourselves. Why would you be pushing that on a second or a third grader if you're if, as a system, not as a person, because a person can be just wrong, but a system is designed and put in place for a purpose. OK, why would that system be funneling people into debt if that wasn't the purpose of the system? The purpose of the system is what the system does, not what it claims to do. Stanford beer. Of course. And so it's not just student loans, right? It's credit cards. I remember when I met my first fiance, girl named Vicky, when she was talking to me about how debt debt she was in, and she had a job. It was a decent job. It was her first job, you know, out of out of college. She'd only been out of college about a year, and she still had her student loan debt. And I, I totally understood that. I totally got that. And then she starts talking about her credit card debt, and I'm like, "Did you have a job in school?" Like, did you work your way through school? She's like, no, I just had loans. I'm like, did you get all this credit card debt? Like, since you got out of college? She's like, no. The credit card companies came to the college campuses and gave these kids credit in the kind of the same way they were being given credit for student loans. Oh, you're in this degree field. You're only a year from graduating. You'll have money eventually. Here's, here's a credit card. 
This is systemic debt because debt is a form of slavery. I've taught that since the very beginning of TSP. And so if I want to enslave you, putting you into debt is a great way to do it because now you have more fear. So when I use my fake authority to tell you what you have to do and you're afraid you're going to lose your job while you're in debt, you're more likely to bend the knee to me than if you're not in debt. There's high paying jobs that they won't hire someone into unless they think that person is in debt. You hear what I just said? Very high paying jobs, especially like in sales and things like that, incentive based compensation. They want to hire people who are already a couple million dollars in debt because then that person will kill themselves to pay that debt. See how sick our society is that we've gotten to there? So we're also taught that degrees equal education. A person with a degree is obviously educated. Educated to what, first of all? But what this makes me think of is back when I lived in Arkansas, um, we were still in the uh, the throes of the Great Recession, right? And they they were doing this, like, local piece, the local Little Rock station, about how the recession is still here for many people, including highly educated people. They put this girl on, and she's like, I got two degrees, and I can't find a job. I got a master's degree in everything, a master's degree, master's degree. Now, I'm not picking on somebody here because – of uh, the way they talk or what have you, really. But I am pointing something out. If you are able to obtain a master's degree, don't you think if you actually earned it, you should know how to pronounce the damn word? How educated is this person, really? And I don't know what her master's degree was in. But I, 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 I'm going to tell you right now, if I was interviewing you for a job, and I say, so I see that you went to college here and then you pursued a higher degree. And you say, yeah, let me tell you about my master's degree. We're done with that interview. We're done with that interview. No wonder you can't find a job. You don't even know what your degree is called. But we have been convinced that the person that has initials at the end of their name is educated. The average person today that's in their 20s, 20s to early 30s, Honest to God believes, and because I've heard him say it, I'm quoting here, we are the most educated generation in the history of the world. Most of these people couldn't pass the final exam that kids took to get out of high school in 1900. You are not the most educated generation in the world, but you've been convinced that you are. And it's very useful to convince stupid people that they're smart. If you convince stupid people that they're smart, and when I say stupid here, I'm back to Bonhoeffer stupidity and being educated improperly, by the way. I'm not talking about being intellectually slow. But if you convince people that are completely wrong about everything, that they're geniuses, well, then they'll go along with anything you, you tell them. This supports the ideology that you put in their head. That's how we got where we are today is they've convinced stupid people that they're smart. Well, you're stupid, but you're not stupid. You're smart. You're a genius. You've been educated. Look at all the money you spent, how how hard you worked and shit, and now you have all this paper that says you're smart, so we know you're smart. And all them people that we want to pay your bills for you, those, those tradesmen and shit, they're not smarter. They'd be where you are. They're the ones that want the planet to boil or whatever shit that they're talking about at any given day. You have got to teach kids that a degree does not equal intelligence. It does not equal educated. It can, 
there are some very useful degree paths out there. And there are some degree paths where people still have to learn shit to get a degree. But I bet you 70 to 80% of degrees that are given today confer no capability on the individual whatsoever to be able to do jack diddly shit. So you've got to teach people that, not just for themselves. This is not just about the individual's personal decision, how they pursue their education path. You can't kneel down in front of somebody and kiss their freaking ass, right, because they have a degree. No, it doesn't work that way. I've, I've known a lot of educated idiots in my life, and I've known some pretty damn brilliant freaking rednecks, okay, who can fix anything. You give that guy a pair of pliers, some bailing wire, and some duct tape, and if you can't fix it, you need to, you need a welder. I mean, really, like that level of being able to figure things out, figuring stuff out. That's intelligence. Regurgitating information is just regurgitating information. It doesn't mean you can do anything with it. Um, on top of all this, they've been made overly comfortable. And if you're my age, you can go to the mirror and look at the people who did it. We did it. We made them overly comfortable. And I've, it's taken me a long time to figure out how like the tail end of the boomers, the older Gen Xers, all the way into the oldest millennials to a degree. We're kind of all, there's like a lot of things that happened in between those generations, but we all know the world pre-internet. We all know the world where kids went home and at times nobody was there and we had to see through ourselves, right? We all know that. It's John Dowie's here with us, right, uh, in, in the chat today, and he's probably about the youngest that this applies to. He, I don't remember how old John is, but he said he graduated in 97 from high school. So seven years older, younger than me, probably. Right. It's, it's probably right about there. And some might be a little further out and further back in, depending on what part of the country you grew up in and what your parents were like. But this is what I mean. We grew up allowed to be uncomfortable and allowed to figure things out. We grew up allowed to fail we grew up at a time where if we did something stupid and we got hurt and there wasn't a bone sticking through your, 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 your arm or something like that where you need to go to a hospital now, the first question out of your parents' mouth or your teacher's mouth or whatever wasn't how did this happen, why wasn't anybody watching it be, what did you do? Why did you do this? You knew that was stupid. Why did you do it? We were held personally accountable for our own stupidity. Again, if you had a compound fracture, they would ask you that after they got you to the hospital and stabilized. But you would, even then, you're still going to get, well, why did you do that? Not why wasn't somebody watching him? So we got, we we're the latchkey generation. We got out of school. We went home. No one was there. We had to make ourselves something to eat or we didn't eat anything. Right? We got on our bikes and we explored the world. We did all those things that we talk about doing. And then when we became parents, we had this expectation that that's how kids would be best off to a degree. That we would just let our kids figure, we wouldn't show them how to do things because mostly we didn't get shown either. Like we learned to use a tool because we saw dad use the tool, but he really didn't teach us to use the tool. And we we're trying to get something done and go, dad, use that tool. And if it had to be something like a crosscut saw and you was 10 years old building a bike ramp with your buddy, and somebody walked into the garage and used their sawing away on a piece of scrap two by four you picked up from a construction site. Nobody lost their shit about it. They said, oh, they're learning. 
and you might have bent the nails and fucked up the ramp and broke it the first time you drove across and got hurt or whatever, and they asked you what you were doing, was stupid, why you did something stupid, and you learned from it, and you made a better model, and you went on. Those of you that are old enough to know what I'm talking about know exactly what I mean. We figured shit out. We lived on hose water, right? We learned to let the water run out of the hose so it stopped like tasting like hose water before we drank it. And we figured stuff out. When the bike had a problem, we figured out how to fix it. And a lot of times you'd go to an uncle or something like that or an older kid that knew what to do, but in the end, you still saw to fixing it, okay? What we did as parents, unfortunately is we made life easy and we didn't teach. We left them to figure it out on their own. But we made it so easy for them that they didn't have to. And then we're like, why can't they do anything? Again, go look in the mirror. We did it. And I know that I was harder on my son than most. But I know that I still am guilty of it somewhat. Right? Uh, one step closer says we created weapons to fling sweet gum balls at each other in the late 80s. Yeah, I talk about it. we used to have wars with apples. Them things hurt. I'm talking about like the little naughty like windfall apples and stuff. Where I grew up, there were apple trees everywhere that were just like from people eating apples and throwing cores. And every so often, one would grow up from a seed and and, and grow. Right, Johnny Appleseed uh, is not as, as as old as you think. There was a lot of apple trees like that. And they didn't make the best apples, right? They made these little hard apples, and nobody ever sprayed them with anything. So a lot of them were usable, a lot of them weren't. And we used to take those things and take about a six-foot piece of sapling, so something that had a fairly good size, like the size of like a bait casting rod for a handle, but a good taper and some bend in it. And we used to cut a, a point on the end of it, and we would get like buckets of these apples so we were well-armed and well-ammoed up, and we would get on like opposing banks where we were like 50, 70 yards apart from each other across like a valley. And we would start freaking hurling freaking apples at each other. And again, if somebody got blasted in the face and then it looked like they got punched in the head, the question wasn't why were they alone? It was, well, why did you do that? That was stupid. I thought you knew not better than to throw at the face. And when you're throwing that far with an apple, they're only so accurate. We did all that crazy crap. We used to have... We called them dirt plod wars, but they were more like clay wars. We had this this road that went through the swamp where I lived, and there was like the road just kind of went to where there's no more houses or anything. And these banks, we would get in on the banks, and there was like that gray clay, and we would cut and we would throw this clay at each other, man. And I mean, it would sting. We did all the dumb shit, but we dealt with the dumb shit, and we dealt with the consequences of the dumb, and we were permitted to try. So what happens today is they come in and the kids are building a, a ramp in the garage. That was a favorite pastime of ours. That's why I mentioned it. They had us. They, they got the crosscut saw. Oh my God! They're going to cut their leg off. Like you're going to cut your leg. If you cut yourself with a crosscut saw, you probably do it once. It really hurts and it ain't that bad. It's it's not. It, it ain't got a battery, right? So they can't do that. Then you find out. Well, they're making a ramp. Oh, my God, they need knee pads, elbow pads, helmets, flak jackets, foam wrapping. Like, like we used to race BMX bike racing that if you wiped out, you got ran over by every other bike on the track. Like, the stuff we used to do, kids of the age that we were when we did it are just not permitted to do that. So you took away the challenge. You took away the freedom to try and fail. 
And then we didn't turn around and teach them, okay, now let me show you how to do it since you aren't going to have the opportunity to learn and go through this process yourself. That's how we got to this. So with kids today, you need to be giving them the freedom and or teaching. I think we, there's room for both. I think we need to actually teach kids how to do things, but we also need to put, like, put the tool in their hand and go, how do you think you're supposed to use this? And unless they're like, you know, poking themselves in the eye, but like, let them fail. Let them fail and then guide them, right? Because the problem is that everything that young people learn today is binary, right or wrong. And the person teaching you knows the right answer and it's to never be questioned. Well, you can't teach that way and actually empower learning. Good teachers are wrong sometimes and they're open to being wrong or they're shitty teachers. And I don't even care if the back of the book says you're right. It doesn't mean that you are. Shit changes all the time. Um, so we've made them too comfortable, right? We've made them too comfortable, but we've robbed them of the ability to pursue knowledge at the same time. We have been, we have taught them to value protection above vigilance. And so whenever something bad happens, we tell them, oh, this is horrible. Something should be done to protect you. Instead of, hey, keep your head up, your eyes out, pay attention, put your head on a swivel, young man. Pay attention to what's around you. Don't go to stupid places and do stupid things with stupid people. We were taught how to look after ourselves to a huge degree when I was a kid. You know, the stranger danger talks and all stuff like that. Now the kids have to be supervised at all times. Kid goes out and plays in his own backyard by himself. And I'm talking like a kid's eight or nine years old in his own backyard. And neighbors have called the police and said this, this ch- child's unsupervised or what have you. I think in the 1980s, if you called the cops and told them that, if that cop knew you personally, he might come over and kick your ass for wasting his time. That was just not a thing. We can't have a society of free, independent people if we continue to do this shit and teach people that it is more important to be protected than to be vigilant. You have to teach people that you are your own first responder. It's up to you first to see to your own needs. It's not for somebody else to do for you. But if you want to control a society, what a great message. Oh, the reason bad things happen is there's not enough laws. Oh, the reason bad things happen, Republicans. They're in the way of more government. If we just had more government, everything would be okay. Let's not talk about why we have made college so expensive. Let's just talk about somebody else who pay the bill for you. Let's not talk about how healthcare became so ridiculously expensive. Let's just say somebody should give you free insurance as though insurance equals care. It's the same thing over and over again. Being taught to be protected versus to be vigilant. You want to get people to give up their gun rights, tell them you need the government to protect you versus it's your responsibility to protect yourself and your family and the helpless people around you and the people that are weaker than you. I mean, I was taught the stronger you are, the more obligation you have to help others. The stronger you are, the more obligation you have to protect other people. I don't think we teach that anymore. I mean, I try to. I'm saying this as a society. We also had been taught for years, and this does go back all the way to the 80s, and I believe it started out with some level of nobleness to it, you know, and getting rid of 
prejudice as much as we can, because we'll never have a society that has no prejudice in it, no racism in it. We'll never, ever have a society where there are not some small-minded people that join that judge people based on their color of their skin or their religion or who they love or whatever. We'll never get to where there's none of it. All we can do is try to get to a point where the, the, the apparatus of the state can't be used to enforce it, which is the exact opposite of where we've gotten to now. But we've been taught that prejudice of one amounts to a privilege for another. And this is this is sick thinking. It's not just wrong. It's sick. It's a mental illness to believe that. So here's what I mean. If if we send the message, and you know, white privilege is a pretty popular one, especially white male privilege in the patriarchy. Right. Um, and you say, well, what do you mean? Well, as a white man, you can just go anywhere you want and nobody judges you or whatever. Like you're judging me right now. But let's just say that it was the point was true. That I had certain advantages by being a dude and being white in society. That I was the one with lower test scores required to get into college or something like that. Right. Like let's just say that it was true. What is the what is the remedy to this problem? And the remedy would be to make sure that everybody has the same path available. And, you know, then you go as far on it as you want to. And if you fail, you fail. But it would be if there is a systemic thing being done to some group of people that is wrong, that it would be to remove this, not to give them an advantage, not to remove, see if it's a privilege, an unearned thing, right? Privileged, right? Spoiled, rotten kid then you would take it away from that group of people, which is exactly what they try to do. Because as soon as you use the word privilege, you're loading up to do that. But if you say this thing itself is wrong, then the people that you're calling privilege would actually agree with you and help you. But you don't want that because that's a united society. That's a liberty focused society. And so we have been taught that prejudice equals privilege rather than simply there should be no prejudice. Right. And you can't again, you can't ever stop it. But the goal should be for us to behave in a way where we don't judge other people by the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their gender, whatever it is that we judge people based on their actions. Right. The things that they do and the things that they say and the consistency between the two. But you got to get rid of the concept of privilege for that to work as long as it's privilege. The people that are privileged are the enemy, and the solution is to bring them down rather than bring other people up. This is why your kids are screwed up, guys. If you're like 50, 60 years old and you don't understand what happened to the generation that's followed you, this is what happened. This is, I mean, this is everything. Um, and it's all by design. We have lunatics running the asylum. When you have people who, can't, who cannot answer the question, what is a woman, without getting fucking triggered, you have lunatics running the asylum. When you have people being hired into jobs at a cabinet level in the most powerful country in the world because they are non-binary, and, and, but they have no credentials whatsoever in the job that they're hired to do. Like, let's say they were hired into a position to see to nuclear waste disposal, but they have no experience in waste disposal or the nuclear industry at all. But they do have experience stealing luggage. And having sex with men in dog suits, and that's why they got hired. Okay, we, we we've kind of lost the plot at that point, and we have to say lunatics are running the asylum.
when you have a health expert who is mentally ill running your health system and you call it an admiral, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We have the insane running the asylum. And it's all by design. It's also very dystopian. It looks a lot like 1984. But there's some things about 1984 that I think a lot of people are, they miss the actual messages. Number one, if you saw the original 1984 movie, I'm talking the old one, I think it was made in the 70s. It was made in England. So it was a British film. And if you look at that, this is something you see in many dystopian movies. And I'm not even picking on the producers, directors, etc. here. It's just what you do. They want to convey this idea of depressed and misery and whatever. Well, you can't have like bright, pretty sun and blue sky and birds singing and convey that mood. So what they do, and if you saw that movie, you know what I'm talking about, everything is like the sun never shines. It's always gray. Everything's dank. Nothing's shiny. Nothing's pretty. Everything's awful. And so people have had their expectation moved because of that, and not just 1984, many other things like it. That that's what misery looks like. Misery is very obvious that you're miserable. There's there's nobody happy in a, a well. You can't run a society and control society without a lot of the people, not just the elite, thinking at least that they're happy. And so what we're looking at is fascism, and the reality is fascism tends to work a lot better than socialism or communism. I didn't say it's good. I said it works better. There's enough free market elements in it that it actually can succeed. A really great way to kind of see uh, an artistic vision of what this looks like is the series The Man in the High Castle. In The Man in the High Castle, it's an alternate ending to World War II. The Nazis got the bomb. The Nazis won the war. And the Nazis and the Japanese made a deal, right? They made a deal with each other. And basically it was the Nazis got the eastern United States, the Japanese got the western United States, and then a big piece of the Rockies is like a neutral zone. Nobody goes there. It has all its own autonomy. It's just like a backwater now. And when you see the way that society is run under an imperial Japanese government, and this is like taking place in the 60s, so it's been 15, 20 years since the war ended. It is very much like the way that the, the feeling, the vibe you get from the 1984 movie. When you look at the Nazi side, it's miserable for a lot of people, but for a lot of people, it's wonderful. It looks like 1960s Americana. All the women wear pretty dresses. They're involved in all uh, the, like the, you know, HOA, not HOA is what I'm looking for, like school board, PTA and shit like that. And there's this underlying horror. But if somebody, if you didn't know what was going on, if you had lived in another country in this alternate universe and somebody dropped you off and said for a week, you get to live you know, in the eastern United States, and then a week you get to live in the western United States. When that was over, and they said, okay, now you have to pick, you would have went to the eastern United States. You may have ended up dead eventually if you were the wrong person or whatever, but just for the service, you would have said, these people have their shit together over here. This is pretty, you have a job, you work, you go home, like everything, there's not a lot of crime. People aren't just being beat up in the streets all the time or whatever. 
This is what fascism looks like. That doesn't mean that horrible things don't happen. It means that the surface can look a lot better than one would expect. Okay. If you teach people that it looks the other way, they don't see it when it happens right in front of them. What do you mean? What do you mean we're not free? I walk down the street and nobody put me in jail, right? What do you mean we're not free? Again, but the shifting goalposts of what you find acceptable from your government is a huge part of that. Um, remember in 1984, you couldn't turn off the screen. You couldn't turn off the screen. The screen was everywhere. There was one in your house. There's one at work. And some of the party members at times could turn their screen off. It was one of the privileges if they were a higher ranking party member. But you could never turn your screen off. They decided what you saw, when you saw it, how you saw it. We have our own screens now. We have our own screens now. How many times do you see people walking around with their screen right in front of their face? We can turn our screen off anytime we want to, but as a society, we don't. And we are as controlled, if not more controlled, than the people in that story. Because you are more controlled when you falsely believe yourself to be free. It's a very simple concept. And then, of course, they had the party, the party, the party, the party, right? So then well, you don't live in that world. We have parties. We have two parties. Yeah. What's the parties? You notice you can pick one of those two. But what's the worst thing you can do is not pick one? Say, I don't like either one of these. I don't even vote. Oh, my God, you have to vote. Okay, so I'm going to vote for a third party. No, you're wasting your vote. Like, there's no way around this. Like, the establishment has defined these two variables, Republican and Democrat. And you're free to pick one, but you better pick one. And one keeps moving further and further left toward bigger government. And that allows the other one to just slide behind. It's just, you know, they always say that the giant can only move forward. If the two feet are both moving in the same direction. But what you do if you're a little a little tiny bit sophisticated, because it'll fool people. You know you can walk and move forward, but you never bring let's say never bring your, your right foot in front of your left. So you take a long step with your left foot and then you bring your right foot up behind it and then another step with your left and your right foot up behind it, but never cross. This is how we move as a society. The left goes way out in crazy town. And then when the right cinches up into what they would have never gotten away with a couple years earlier, no one notices. Okay, this, this looks like it makes sense now. You have to have one side play the crazy side so the other side can get closer and closer to crazy. And it probably will reverse at some point. It's, it's a natural thing to that. But we're also, on top of all this, we're self-editing the dictionary. We keep coming up with more and more words that we're not allowed to use, that we're not allowed to say. And then we keep taking perfectly good words and ruining them and destroying them. To the point now where, you know, I, I look at it this way. As many of y'all know, I, I'm a pretty big fan of Bitcoin and what have you. And then there's the shit coins, right? And I'm not even going to talk about the the, the, the altcoins that you could try to make a case for. I'm going to talk about pure shit coins, pure garbage. Like just somebody just cloned a thing and put up a website and then they dump it into the, the, you know, there's tens of thousands of these things now. That's what gender has become. Gender's become the shit coin of the modern vocabulary. 
There'll never be enough genders for everybody. They'll keep coming up with new ones. We have like 80 or 90 of these things now, right? The shit coinery is what it is. It's like, we'll just keep making up new shit to see if you'll believe it. Because if you do, we have another way to divide people. And then it makes the lunatics look completely crazy, which then allows people that otherwise would be sane to become crazy but not go as far, so they look halfway normal. And again, we're self-editing the dictionary. Remember in 1984, they kept they had a list of approved words and it kept getting smaller. We're doing it to ourselves. We put the screen in front of ourselves. We self-edit our own language. We are we can believe that something you used to say all the time that was perfectly acceptable all of a sudden became bad. And we'll enforce it like a bunch of trained monkeys on each other and attack each other when anybody steps out of line. Um, and then. Endless wars. Do I need to say anything? If we don't have an endless war, we'll grab onto somebody else's war. We'll create a proxy war. We just spent 20 plus years at war. We got nothing for it. We made everything worse. What is the first thing we did when we got clear of that war? We grabbed onto somebody else's war. And it's not just wars around the world. Those are awful convenient for controlling people. But it's also domestic war. There's always another war. If you're my age, you have to remember Reagan's war on drugs and Johnson's war on poverty. We go to war with everything. We always lose because the wars are not designed to be won. They're designed to take your mind and control it and make you look over here. And as long as we're going to war with things or people or countries, we never go, wait a minute, assholes. You're the guys in charge of everything. Why is it all screwed up? Why are we sending so much money to these other countries around the world when you're telling us all these problems we have require spending, but you're giving our money away, and you're giving away my grandchildren's future, but you're not seeing to our own needs? Because if we do that, we end up with a divided society that can be controlled, and people who will willingly submit as slaves themselves. Because that's what's going on here. The modern West has become a society of spoiled, privileged slaves that believe themselves to be free while they are more controlled mentally and physically than humanity probably has ever been in our history. I'm not saying there weren't worse times if you were on the wrong end of something. But I'm saying in general, there's probably never been a time where society is more tightly controlled than it is today. And people believe themselves to be free. What can we do about this? Number one, teach children that freedom is precious and it doesn't come from the state. You need to teach your kids, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, any young person that you have any influence at all over. You are born with inherent freedoms, period. No one gives you rights. Rights are inherent. You have them. People can interfere with your rights. And systems can be put in place to protect rights. But your right, they come from the fact that you walk, you live, you breathe, you have a soul. You have a heart. You're a thinking being. And you have rights because you exist. And then you can factor that into whatever you believe religiously or spiritually as to how that works. What I found is when people believe that, no matter what they think about spirit or soul or religion, they still have a way that the two play together, even the atheist. 
my very existence alone through my creation as a being, I have these rights. Because as long as we see authority as a source of right, our rights, then we, we will have to concede that if they can give us rights, then they can take them from us. And that it would be, you know, right for them to do so simply because, well, we would be better off if they did. Society is full of horrors that have occurred. The more, the closer people have gotten to that with their own government, the more horrors that government has, has taken out on them and the whole world. All you do is crack a history book and you'll see it. Teach your kids skills so they can adapt and other people fail. Like I said, it's one thing to say when we, you know, we were kids, we figured out ourselves, but we were given the freedom to do so, the freedom to fail and the freedom to try. Well, there's a lot of things we can't completely give our children the freedom to try anymore. We, we literally risk running afoul of the very state that we're talking about today. CPS is a freaking abduction agency at this point, in my opinion. They cannot be trusted. I'm sure there's good people that work there that do their best, but I've seen enough horrors of what comes out of that. And the family court system is a freaking broken pile of crap. And so... There's things that you just can't let kids run out, and you can't pretend it's 1985. I accept that. But then you better step in and teach and show. Step, here's how you do this thing. Now, you do it. Because if you don't do that, they're not going to magically learn. I think that's one of the things that people my age and a little bit younger and older have, we've, we've dumbed ourselves down in a way. We've led ourselves to believe that they will all eventually figure it out. No, they won't. They're never going to get, unless we actively create the learning opportunity, they're not going to get it like we did. It's not just going to come back. So we have to teach our kids skills. And if we do, they will own the world in the future because most of the people around them don't have any and are not going to have any. Um, we have to help them define what freedom is for them rather than dictate it. There's nothing that I hate more, I guess. Um, that's probably not. One of the things I really hate, because there's plenty of things I hate more, is parents that start dictating to their children what their life should be like. Like, you need to go to college, and you need to study one of these three subjects. Dude, you get one place, or if you're uh, the, the mom, dudette, dude and dudettes, you get one life you get to do that shit with. Yours. You decided what you did with your life. You decided what career path you took. You decided what educational path you took. You do not get to do this for your adult child. And never lose sight of the fact you are not raising a child. Let me say that again. You are not raising a child. If you are, you are doing it wrong. Because children don't go out into the world and see to their own needs and make big impacts on the world. Adults do that. You should be raising an adult. When you're dealing with a three-year-old, you should at that point already in your mind know, my purpose is for this three-year-old to become a functional 18-year-old young man or woman. You're raising adults, not children. That's another thing they put in your head. You're raising children. You're raising children. I don't want to raise children. If I raise, an eight, if I raise somebody 18, 19, 20 years old and they're still a child, I've failed. You raise adults. And as you're raising adults, you have to help them understand no one can do this for you. No one can tell you what job, career, path to take. They can give you suggestions to answer your questions. You have to decide where you're going to live, how much money you're going to be happy making or not making, who you're going to have as friends, whether you get married or not. 
all the stuff that we tend to try to tell kids what to do. We have to, we have to slowly over time, you take your fingers out of the pie and you let them bake their own shit, man. You have to. Now, when you see them some doing something really dumb, your kid gets on heroin or some shit, yeah, you have to intervene. I'm not talking about stuff like that. But in general, people have got to be given the freedom and they have to have an expectation set that you have freedom and you owe it to yourself to do something with it. And they have to understand that whatever that's going to look like, whatever they're going to use their liberty to pursue as a freedom can only be determined by them. And then one of the most important things you can teach kids is just because you chose to pursue something doesn't mean that you are under any obligation to continue to pursue it if you figure out that it makes you miserable. This whole don't quit shit, I am all for quitting things that make me miserable. I am all for quitting things that I have determined will not benefit me in the long run, that I want to do something else with my life. I get one life to live. And because of that, I'm going to live my life my way. We need to be raising our kids to think the same way. We also need to encourage them to learn independently and to think on a systems level. One of the things I'm trying to be really conscious with of my grandchildren is even when they get the right answer, I want to know how'd you get the right answer. Kind of remember I'll show your work thing with math, kind of kind of that version a version of that. Show me your work because did you actually understand? And that's why you got the right answer, or did you just get lucky, or did you just have a gut instinct that turned out to be right? Because once we've assumed that you know this thing, you're going to build on other things, and if you don't really know it, you just got lucky. So I have conversations. Well, yeah, you're right. And I always tell them that because then they then they don't second guess themselves. But how do you know that? Well, I don't know. Well, that's not an answer. I don't know is not an answer. Then you didn't know it. You guessed it. So how can you know it? We need to start taking this approach with our youth desperately, because trust me, schools are not doing it. The media that they're consuming is not doing it. And all of the organizations that are working to compete for their attention and to put their views into their minds, they're not doing it either. None of these none of these sources are doing anything to encourage independent learning and independent thought. We literally, during the COVIDs, had articles come out in major publications that said what? Don't do your own research. That, insanity. And say, I talked in the beginning about how people have come to accept shit that they never would have accepted. I guarantee you, if you'd have told an average person back in 1985 when there wasn't even a damn Internet, not that we know of today anyway, that when it comes to making a decision, do not do your own research. Believe what you're told. They would have beat your ass. They would have never tolerated that. And just a generation, two generations, we have moved to a point of that that's totally acceptable to say that. I mean, half of society still has a problem with it, but when we say something about it, we're attacked for it. No. No. You, you, you have got to teach people the ability to want to know a thing and go out and discern a thing. And how to build the case, if it's a, if this, that, or either or scenario, like it is a, uh, it's an issue with you know, two sides fighting over it, what have you, like a political issue or whatever, that you, you need to teach them until you can explain the view of the, the side you don't agree with, you don't understand it. You don't understand it. 
Because if you can't explain why the other side is wrong and why they believe that they're right, you don't know that you're right or that you understand it either. That's the old debate thing. You should be able to get in either side of the debate and do well. Even if you're wrong and you know you're wrong, you should still be able to build a case to treat things like a lawyer that has a client who deserves the defense so you give them the best defense you can give them. We also need to teach people, and this is something that really we have failed. I was going to say the, the youth that our society struggles with, but we have failed to teach them this. And that is that you cannot learn without failure. That failure is a good thing. That it's totally okay to fail. It's totally okay to be wrong. As long as you learn from it. I'm telling you, the average kid today is terrified to be wrong. It's one of the hardest things when you start teaching somebody. It's under 30 years old today, not just kids. You start trying to teach somebody something today, it's under 30. And it's true of older people, too. But it's just more so true of these, the, the, the youngest generations. The first thing you have to do is get past their concern that they'll mess up or that they'll be wrong or they'll screw something up. Look, what you're doing isn't that important. Somebody around the world's not going to have their head explode because you did it. Just do it. You know, it'll be all right. If you get it wrong, I'll tell you. I'll help you figure out that you did it wrong, whatever. But failure is the means by which we learn. Failure is the most important component to learning. If you never fail, you're not learning. If you never get anything wrong, you're not learning. You have to be wrong and realize that you're wrong. That is one of many ways to explain what the learning process is. Once, once I get past the point where I thought I knew, what I, but no, I was wrong. I've really learned something. And it, now the other thing about that is it will make me go, wait a minute. What else am I sure of that I'm wrong about? That's an incredibly, incredibly important part of learning is to realize that if I was wrong here and I was wrong here and I was wrong here, and more importantly in today's society, it's not just that you were wrong. Well, why were you wrong? And that's not just the mechanics of why you were wrong. Why did you believe it? Who told you it in the first place? What cloak of authority did they have when they gave you this thing that they said was true, and now you know it? You know. Like, you don't just doubt it. You're like, those bastards lied to me. The next question then is, what else have they lied to me about? Now, you can see why they wouldn't want you to think this way, and they wouldn't want your kids to think this way. Because how many things have you been lied about in the last 10 years? How many things have you been lied about in the last four? A lot. I bet you most of you could sit down and make a list last three, four years, things that you now know definitively that you were lied about, that you at least gave some semblance of possibly being true when you first heard it. And something wouldn't let it go. You're like, that doesn't feel right. That's some spidey sense is tingling. I need to research this. You're exactly the kind of people they don't want. You're the carbon they're trying to reduce, folks. Not just people, but people that think for themselves. They're the dangerous ones. They don't just do what they're told. So you got to encourage independent learning, systems thinking, and teach that failure is absolutely part of that process. And I'll tell you the last one. This is a word they've ruined. When I originally built this outline for the original version of the show I did seven years ago, this word hadn't been ruined yet. 
but they've ruined this word. And as soon as I say it, you'll be like, yeah, they ruined it. Insurrection. Insurrection. It was the insurrection. You're an idiot. Anybody that uses that term in regards to January 6th, I don't take you seriously as a human being. Okay? If you're referencing it and the stupidity of it, I'll, I will. But if you legitimately think what happened on January 6th was anything approaching an actual insurrection, you are not a serious human. You cannot be taken seriously. Nobody should listen to you. You shouldn't even talk to other people. You should just go away and be quiet so you don't mess things up for other people. But insurrection is something I used to use that term a lot. I even have a series of podcasts called the Insurrection Series on my website. Go there and search for insurrection and look in the tags at the bottom. You can find all the shows I did that are part of the Insurrection Series. This is what I always said about insurrection. The difference between an insurrection and a revolution is an insurrection seizes power away from a group of authoritarians and disperses it to the people that take part in the insurrection. It is a reclaiming of power. All revolutions do is put another asshole in charge. That's why they fail so often. That's why the Beatles did the song Revolution instead of Insurrection. I think it also didn't rhyme as well or whatever, but uh, or go along uh, with music and meter as well. But, yeah, revolutions traditionally have not worked out well. We've always been taught, like, to think that they do because the American Revolution overall worked out pretty well. But most revolutions end up with out of the frying pan into the fryer type of thing. Do you end up with some strong man taking over from some other strong man that was screwing things up and using the opportunity to seize and consolidate even more power? Where insurrection is, I refuse to allow you to tell me how to live my life anymore. So what I think we need to be instilling in young people is the spirit of insurrection, which is the spirit that created the country we live in, by the way. You know about what an insurrection is? An insurrection is when 13 colonies get together and say, okay, you're not recognizing our ability to self-govern. We're going to create our own body of government. We're going to put things through a process. We're going to write a letter to the people that thinks he owns us and tell them to go fuck himself. And you end up with the Declaration of Independence. That is an insurrection. That was an insurrection. It didn't put any specific person in charge. Now, we kind of let that fall apart for ourselves pretty quick thereafter, but that action itself was an insurrectionist action. And I guarantee you the King of England thought so. We need that spirit in people's minds at all times. I am only willing to submit to authority that I accept. You have to give me a reason to accept your authority. Sometimes it's a simple reason, because that's a sign that says don't go faster than that. You're going to get a ticket. if you Okay, even if I don't agree with it, I'll at least accept that that's the reality. But there's most of the authority that is granted by people to other people or groups of people today is voluntarily uh, granted. And in many instances, it should not be so. It should not have been done. That authority should not have been granted. Really, there is a place in any free society to teach that at all times authority should be questioned. That doesn't mean it should be revolted against at all times, but it should always be questioned. When somebody tells you something has to be a certain way, the first thing that should come to your mind is why. Why? And you must understand that like, if this is a big thing that has serious consequences, you better take some time to answer that question before you decide to go your own way. But you should ask it. Why? 
How do we know that? Has this ever happened before? When it did, what did it look like? Have we ever seen, when people have talked this way in the past, where did it lead if those people got their way? That's critical thinking. We need that spirit of insurrection instilled in our youth heavily. The other thing we need to just ask ourselves is, honest to God, is there any hope? I I watched uh, some videos recently that showed life in the 80s and the 70s, and, and I realized, like, that's never coming back. That kind of freedom, that that type of freedom for children. And I don't even think maybe that all of it's bad, because we did get into some shit, didn't we? You know? And at times there were some serious consequences for that. I Even not going super serious consequences, you know, not all things safety are bad. If you grew up in the 80s, you had friends and either you or your friends had trampolines and everybody knew at least one kid with a giant scar on their leg where they went down in between the springs, right? And now they put the pads around them and that doesn't happen as much anymore, though other horrible things do happen on trampolines. Like, not every movement toward being safer is bad, right? There, there is a place for some of this. But can we challenge the youngest generation to at least seek freedom, to at least ask the right questions? I believe that we can, and I don't think it's hopeless. But I think if we don't act... I think if the people in their 30s through 60s right now don't become a leader to the people that are younger than us, that this will be lost for a hell of a lot more than a generation. I believe that humanity always comes back around to freedom and liberty eventually. There's always a point where people have had enough. But it's the old saying, you know, you can vote yourself into communism, but you have to shoot your way out of it. I think uh, if we don't act soon, that will be the only way out of it. And we should act and we should teach children all of these things. And when I say children, again, I just mean young people, 20-somethings, etc. And if you're listening to this and you are part of that younger generation and you're like, this does make sense, why doesn't anything around me make sense? They designed it that way. You're why I'm doing this episode today. You're the reason for it. Go out and make the generation that in some ways failed you proud anyway because it's in your best interest to do so. With that, if you enjoyed today's show, I wanted to uh, remind you guys you can help support this show in a variety of ways. Uh, one of those ways is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Uh, the item on your screen right now is one of the top-selling items of the last month, and that is uh, the Victor Knox 6-inch uh, semi-stiff boning knife. If I had, a ch- I only could have one knife in my kitchen for trimming, and parting out meat, it would be this knife. It is, and if, again, I've said this before when I've talked about this knife, but if you go out and you watch videos on people doing meat cutting and things like that, you'll see this knife in their hand more than any other one. And it's on sale today at like 24% off or something like that. So I thought I would bring it back around for you guys today. Uh, the other thing I want to let you know about today, I got quite a bit, bit of stuff here at the end. Oh, I've been talking about Self-Reliance Festival for a while. And encouraging you to come to Self-Reliance Festival, meet some really cool people and hang out with us up in Camden. Uh, I'm going to be there. Joel Salton's going to be there. John Willis, Nicole Sauce, a bunch of other awesome presenters. 
But I realize not everybody can pick up and go spend a couple days in Camden, Tennessee. Well, Nicole has released, as of today, virtual passes, so you can actually watch all the presentations from the comfort of your own home and even interact with us and ask us questions. There's a link in the video notes and the audio notes today uh, where you can learn more about that. Another thing I wanted to put out today, now this is only for people who are coming to the TSP 23 workshop or know somebody who's coming that will pick up yours for you. Every single uh, student, paying student, is getting a free copy of Jim Shockey's book, Call Me Hunter. Not just a copy of the book. It will obviously, it has to be a first edition because I'm getting books like delivered to a bookstore the week of the release for Jim to sign when he's down there. So that's how we're doing this. So obviously first edition, but autographed and numbered for this event. They'll be numbered, you know, let me sign like Jim Shockey. TSP 23, number one of whatever total number of books we end up ordering. You have until Friday to order copies, extra copies of this book. If you're a presenter or something like that, and I haven't told you I'm giving you one out of pocket, assume I'm not. <laughs> you, uh, uh, you'll you need to pick up one for yourself. There are a few people that I've picked up extra copies for uh, to thank them for supporting the, the show and the event in the past. And if you're one of those, I've told you that. So if you haven't heard that, Unless you're a paying student, you don't have a guaranteed book here. Uh, if you also, if you have people in your like your family or your friend circles that are outdoor enthusiasts, this would be it. You know, we're heading to Christmas. This would be a hell of a Christmas gift. Something you can't get anywhere else. Uh, but you you absolutely have only until Friday to order. You can order as many copies as you want. But again, you need to see this either picking it up yourself or somebody needs to pick it up for you. If you are uh, someone who's been here before or whatever, and you're part of the alumni telegram group, I'm sure somebody on there that lives somewhere near you would be willing to do it if you're not coming and you like a copy of it, because I don't know where else you're going to get one of these, because there isn't any place. So with that, we've wrapped things up. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I will catch you tomorrow with another episode. Just run you round. They said you should have a house. The American way Dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way